Before we get started, I want to let you know about the latest episode of Renovari's other podcast, Friends in Formation. Friends in Formation is a roundtable discussion I participate in with Rochelle Parham and James Catford. The three of us work with listener questions about life and faith. Our goal, it's simple, listening, learning, and helping one another and go deeper with God. In this month's episode, we discuss women in ministry and should I pray to the Trinity and then offer a few words on spiritual direction. You know, I wouldn't be getting older if this weren't part of God's plan for me. And so these losses, which are also changes, there's probably grace in them. And I think I've been discovering that. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is spiritual director and best-selling author of nine books on relationships and spiritual formation, Alice Freiling. Alice has a new book coming out. It's titled Aging Faithfully, The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. Can I make a confession? I really hate the way aging is talked about in our culture. Our society's psychotic obsession with youth and appearance not only leaves many of us enslaved to pursuing the shallow, but presents aging as a sort of tragic, impending doom, rather than a space to celebrate the wisdom and experience the years have brought. What I found helpful in Alice's work is her gentle ability to offer a roadmap for some really positive ways to navigate the challenges and new opportunities we encounter as we move through the years. I spoke with Alice from her home in Colorado. Alice, what was it like for you to write this book? It was probably the most life-giving experience in this category that I've ever had. I mean, it was just wonderful. When I was in my late 50s, I started looking for a book, figuring, you know, I'm getting older, I might as well figure out what the terrain looks like. And I found a lot of good books, but I didn't find what I was looking for. I really wanted something that um, would help me understand what was, I, I don't know how else to say it, except understand what was happening in my soul and something that would guide me on my spiritual journey, give me suggestions and hope and milestones. And so then that was in the late 50s. And by the time I got in my early 70s, I still hadn't found the book that I was looking for. And there was one morning when I was thinking about it, and I just had this sense. I mean, it felt like sort of a whisper of the Holy Spirit. It was like, everything you want to know is all of a sudden inside of you, or is in, inside of you, not all of a sudden inside of you, but has been building inside of you all your life. Um, so just write it down. And so I started outlining, I mean, because I'm inclined to think in terms of a book, I started outlining what I would say. And then as I got into it, I really felt like the book was speaking back to me, almost like a spiritual director. I mean, sometimes I'd write something and I'd think, oh, 
I didn't know I knew that. And that's what <laughs> that's happens right. when you meet with a spiritual director. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and then after the book was off to Nav Press and had been edited and everything, and you know, this is an aging is an ongoing process, one day at a time. And there have been many days when I felt sort of discouraged about, you know, oh, I don't know if I can handle one more thing about getting older. And I actually got out my book and read it. So, <laughs> so it's been a pretty powerful and pretty positive experience for me. You just listed th- three of my favorite criterias for a book. If I can share. Yeah. One is I think we we often write what we need to read, right? Yes, yeah. Writing is learning. I don't think people realize that oftentimes you'll write and go, huh, that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> that's helpful. <laughs> I need to think about that. Uh, and then the other is lifetime books, books that just took 20 years to write in yeah. terms of cooking it in your own you know, story. So yeah. you, you hit all three of my favorite book categories. Well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to know it. <laughs> As you've been aging, what's been happening in your soul? Well, that's a good spiritual direction question. <laughs> um, there's obviously a lot of losses with aging. I mean, most of the changes externally are losses. Um, and I think in my soul, I find myself saying, um, you know, I wouldn't be getting older if this weren't part of God's plan for me. And so these losses, which are also changes, there's probably grace in them. And I think I've been discovering that. One of the things that I mentioned in the book, which is sort of descriptive of this, um, in the process of writing the book and in the process of getting older, there was one day when I realized how sad it is not to be able to have enough energy to do everything I want to do. I mean, by a long shot. And there was something I wanted to do, and I thought, I just don't have the energy to do that this afternoon. And I had this sense of, I need to practice the discipline of irresponsibility. And right after that, I think, oh, no, 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 I can't do that because that's totally a contradiction of who I am. But since then, for several years now, I have practiced the discipline of irresponsibility. Well, especially if there are grandparental opportunities that I don't feel that I have the energy to meet, I just, sometimes I just lie down on the sofa and I read a novel. And there's so many things that are counterintuitive to me about that. In the first place, you don't lie down on the sofa when you have something to do that you should be doing. And if you're lying down on the sofa, heaven takes you don't read a novel <laughs> that now I lie down on the sofa because I need to do that yeah. before I can do the responsibilities. And it's been very, it's changed my view of myself. And I think it's changed my view of God. Mm-hmm. Giving yourself freedom. It's even a little more than freedom. I have a responsibility to be irresponsible. I mean, when I overextend myself, which is different now than it was when I overextended myself as a 40-year-old. When I overextend myself, I'm just offering the dregs of what's left in me, and it's not coming from the love of God. I mean, I, I can tell the difference. Um, and what I really want to do is I, I want my activities to be loving. So that 
I feel like God is saying to me, now there's something about this you're not getting. <laughs> okay, we'll read the book together. <laughs> so. I, I found it interesting through the years how, at least in American culture, maybe other cultures too, um, the idea of living within our limitations is seen as a negative and something to be yes. to be fought. Yeah. Um, so is part of that just learning to live within the limitations that have now presented themselves? I think aging requires us to live within those limitations, which is a little bit different because I, I mean, I remember not doing that as a young person and I could do it, but now I, I can't anymore. It, it really is like something inside of me shuts off. And I was with our granddaughters several years ago and had overextended myself like it was past seven o'clock at night when I was there. <laughs> you know, <that's> not, <laughs> I have really limited ways to extend myself. And I was just so tired. And one of my granddaughters came in and told me something about what had happened that day at school. And I didn't even hear her. I mean, it wasn't because I couldn't hear, but she said something and I didn't know what she'd said. And I, it was because something had shut off inside of me. And that's not fair to them. It's not fair, in a sense, I could say it's not fair to God because I was trying to use a gift that night that he hadn't given me. I've noticed this with my dad. He's 79. And what he says, I do one thing. Oh, yes. <laughs> Maybe I have a call today or a meeting or I'm writing, yes, but just, just one thing and <laughs> yeah. let it be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I only do, I mean, the one thing I get and multitasking, I can't do. Uh -huh. um, and then, these young people out and about town, the cashiers, and they say, oh, what are you doing this afternoon? And I don't know how to answer <laughs> I'm that. laying on the couch reading a novel. Thank right, you very much. Yeah, I did say that to somebody <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> As you're talking about your limitations, you're smiling. How have you gotten to that place to where this is not something to be fought and hated, but just embracing where, where you're at? I think that is that that has come to mind before. I think that's the result of all of these life experiences that have kind of built into making this book or write, yeah, whatever. When I was younger in high school and probably until I was at least 40, I struggled with what now I know was chronic depression, but there was almost nothing written about depression at that time. Prozac hadn't been invented. So, even going to counseling wasn't, I mean, eventually I did get counseling, but that was years later. So all of those years of being depressed, I think, helped me. I, I don't know how else to say it. It's somehow I learned to live with serious limitations during those years. And then when I no longer struggled with depression every day, it's always crouching at the door. But when I wasn't struggling with it every day, then I just jumped right into living a very driven life. I packed my days with parenting things, um, neighborhood things, church things, intervarsity things, and it didn't work. You know, for one thing, I got sick a lot, and my relationship with God was affected by all the things I thought God wanted me to be doing. So it didn't work in a significant way. And I think now I'm at a place of saying, Oh, this is why it didn't work. I wasn't listening to my body. 
I wasn't listening to my soul. I wasn't listening to my limitations. So I'm pretty happy about that, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty happy, not about the limitations. I don't like them. But I'm finding out that not meeting my own expectations and not meeting the expectations of others isn't quite as threatening or as awful. Plus, I am so much more aware of God's grace. I mean, that's, I guess if I were going to name one thing, that would be the big thing. But in terms of the practicalities of it, I got here through a long circuitous route. Then in accepting those limitations, give space for grace or say more about that grace? Well, probably the the main thing that is helping me in these um, years, I mean, I'm 77 and a half, which means that I'm moving toward 80, and that's old. <laughs> not, not really, but um, so I've had a lot of years of um, feeling these limitations more deeply. And the one thing that is the most sustaining grace for me is time being quiet in the morning. And I mean, it just happens that I do it in the morning because the day all goes south after 10 o'clock. <laughs> so there's so many times when my prayer is really just, you know, God, I just don't get this. I am done. Um, and it's only eight o'clock in the morning, or I have so much fear in my life, um, or there's just too much to do today. And I find praying in that way, just expressing this to God is... I, I stopped giving God a lot of suggestions. I mean, Lord, help me get everything done today, because underneath that is the implication, make me look good. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I don't make a lot of suggestions to God. Sometimes I, I don't even ask a question. Sometimes I just say, this is the way I feel. And then I'm just quiet. Often one verse will come to mind, and it's often a verse that I memorized when I was, you know, 17 or 18. So it's always in King James, <laughs> but I'm sustained one verse at a time these days. All of those things, that's, that's really good news. I mean, it's just not about me. It's not about what I can do to accomplish this or to be an outstanding old person. It's about God's grace. In the book, you talk about um, productivity and fruitfulness. Could you share a little about those two things? Yeah, that's been very meaningful to me. I mean, obviously, for the majority of our adult life, we are productive. And that's a really good thing. I mean, we are productive in careers that one way or another probably are helpful to other people. We're productive in our church relationships, certainly with parenting. And we focus on um, what did I do for somebody? Or what did I make today? I mean, whatever it is, it's a pro pro productivity. And to focus on fruitfulness is really different. Um, so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, I, I can sit with my granddaughter and we just talk, you know, and she tells me about her day. And I, I mean, I love that. That's just something that I happen to like. I like to talk to people about what they're doing. So that's not hard for me. And, it, you know, we might talk for a long time. And then I think, you know, that was really good. And what was happening was that I was just loving her because I was listening to her. I, I was very struck 
a few years ago with a verse, I'm pretty sure it's in Colossians, where Paul says, we make up what is lacking in the death of Christ. And I went, whoa, it sounds like heresy to me. (laughs) But it wasn't even in a weird translation, and it was Paul saying it. And so I started thinking more about that. And Jesus said, greater works than mine, you will do greater works than I do. And I used to think, well, he doesn't know me very well, you know. But and then there there are other verses that imply the same thing. And I think when we love people, we are loving them in flesh by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus isn't here to listen to my granddaughter's day. But I am. And so I am completing something that started with Jesus. And that's that's great. And when I can focus on that, then I feel like I'm being fruitful and not quite so worried about whether or not I've accomplished something. Some of it sounds like redefining because that sounds really productive to me to pour in, pour into her, <laughs> right? Like I, I, that. Right. Uh, I yeah. see what you're saying. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, and actually I have thought about that with my view of aging. I think some of it is semantics Um, But even the semantics have helped me embrace the experience much more. Because my my past productivity, I'm afraid even maybe with my daughters, would I would I would we'd talk in the kitchen after they came home from school. And sometimes I'd sit down and listen, but sometimes I'd be up doing dishes and getting dinner. So it's quite different. (laughs) Yeah, I struggle with that where I um it's okay to just sit while you're listening. You don't have to, you know, be puttering right. about. So. Do you have a word for folks who are really struggling with navigating aging? Buy my book. <laughs> Buy your book. There we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, probably what I notice um, in myself and in, I mean, a lot of my friends are my age and there's a pretty high risk of denial. Um, you know, if I did this when I was 50 or 55, there's no reason why I can't do it now. But there is. There are a lot of reasons why we can't do it now. So I think being honest with ourselves um, and in the process, allowing ourselves to become more and more self-aware. This is a, a little bit of a semantic um, dichotomy, but I think it's helpful to think as an older person about the difference between the true self and the false self, which is what a lot of us also, I mean, it's usually a rite of passage as when people realize, wait a minute, I have a false self inside of me. Um, And the false self wants to impress people, wants to impress God. It's who I think I should be or who I really want to be. Regardless of this, maybe this really isn't who I am. And Paul said in First or Second Corinthians that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And I think that's what our false self does. For those of us who are believers and wanting to please God, our false self looks really good. And then when we get older, our false self ages with us. Um, another way to describe what happens with the false self is when Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. So we have a native language of our false self. Um, mine would have been at one point, 
maybe still is a little bit that I am a responsible person and I need to do what anybody expects of me. But the true self is deeply different. Um, the true self expresses the gifts of the spirit, the fruits of the spirit, and there's sort of a surprise. It's like, wow, how did that happen? I didn't make that happen. How did that happen? So our false self grows old with us. And if those of us who are older can notice the lies we're believing, the false self-motivation that we have, then we could continue that and say, well, I'm not going to be like that anymore. But it's much more difficult than that. I think that's part of what I bring to God in prayer. I mean, my prayer might just be, God, I it just hurts to, so much to think I'd be disappointing that person by not helping out. Amen. <laughs> and so, so in terms of advice, I guess I would look to self-awareness, listening for the lies of the false self, admitting that the false self grew old with us, so we didn't turn 75 and all of a sudden become holy people. I don't know. Does that speak to what you're asking about? It does. It does. And there was something in your book that I, I don't know how I've missed this in the thoughts and readings about false self, true self, born again, Nicodemus. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> this is our old self is a false self. The, yes. the new life is the true self. But what's so interesting, I had a hard time writing that because I didn't want to sound like a heretic or a non-evangelical or something. But I think we're born again a lot of times in our lives. I mean, there is most, many of us have a specific time that we would refer to when we were born again. But I would use that term to describe some pretty significant milestones of my life. And now I'm born again as an older person, which is a great image because a lot of times we feel like little babies, you know, in what we're doing. And we can't walk very well. We can't here as well as we'd like to. <laughs> we need a lot of help. I mean, I'm not quite there, but you know, that's what happens. And so we are being born again. And to me, being born again spiritually is a really important part of growing older. I remember some years ago being in a, a meeting and, and there was a guy in his 90s that I really respected and thought, this guy's, you know, he's got it. And he made a public confession about wanting to be liked and, mm -hmm. you know, going out of his way. to. And, and I thought, no, you're supposed to, you know, I, I had two thoughts. One, kind of sadness, but then a relief of, of sorts. But these kind of struggles, maybe they get better, but maybe don't completely go away. Well, if they do go away, I hope I live till I'm 110, <laughs> you know, because it's going to take a long time. Um, I, do, I mean, I do think we stay somewhat the same people. And that's why it actually, that's one of the things I thought about with my book, people have asked about, well, what about younger people reading your book? And I think the younger we are, we can, when the younger we are, as we become aware of changes in our life, aging or whatever, just growing up, um, I think that's, that really serves us well. Um, so much of it is just awareness and so another thing that I was very taken with um, when I was working on the book was the story of Peter um, on the rooftop and when he had the vision or the dream and he, in the dream, he was supposed to eat unclean food, which was against the spiritual rules for him. And he said, oh, no, Lord, I would never do that. 
And I find myself thinking that sometimes as I'm aging, I think, oh, no, Lord, I'm not going there. This isn't going to happen because it would be too dramatic. And it is pretty dramatic. We're born again. So I love that image, too. I'm in my mid-40s. I found it very helpful just thinking about, and and there are many, many parallels. One of the things I've noticed is uh, sometimes I still feel like I'm 16. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> right? I look in the mirror and I like I feel like, you know, I'm just kind of faking it or something. Does that continue on? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I I don't remember what I was thinking about, but I, I, was, I was remembering something the other day where I, I really couldn't t- even tell you what it was. I don't remember, but... Um, someone hurt my feelings as a child. And not only did I remember that, I could feel the hurt. So we bring all of that into old age. But now another good thing about old age is that we have, a lot of people don't like the term old age, but I'm kind of stubborn about using it. I think it describes it. Um, But as we enter our senior years, I'll put it like that, we really do, if, if we allow ourselves, we do have more time. And even that is something like something where I would say, oh, Lord, I've never had too much time on my hands. You know? But we, we just have more space in our life. I mean, if we're not doing, if we're retired from a job, an eight to five job, certainly, we don't have the same concerns of newborn children. We're probably not starting new ministries in church, or worse yet, people don't want us to start new ministries in church. So I think we have the time to observe and say, wait a minute, that way of living didn't quite work. Maybe God is inviting me to something else. And one of the big invitations for me is just to stop many times during the day and just be quiet. And I could have done that when I was in my 40s, but I didn't let myself. Why do we fight growing older? I probably blame it on our culture quite a bit. <laughs> I've always thought it would be wonderful to be in a culture where older people are honored. Now that I am an older person, <laughs> we look weaker. Um, we look like we're not as useful. And we may be weaker and we may not be as useful. Even though I wrote this book and I'm committed to growing older, I'm committed to responding to the invitations of God. Every once in a while, I bump into something where I think, hmm, um, I mean, like when I got hearing aids recently, I am not old enough to have hearing aids. That's, that's my opinion of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and all I can say is I'm glad they don't show. I mean, what's wrong with that picture? <laughs> what's wrong with having hearing aids? I got them partly so I could hear my granddaughter talk. But, I mean, that's a really quirky thing. I was surprised at how much I didn't like that. It makes me believe that I'm probably going to be living this journey for the rest of my life and probably fighting it a little bit. I remember my grandfather did not get hearing aids, did not want them. And, and, and I, I did, as a kid, I did not understand why, why do you care? Right. I can't, you can't hear me. This is, you know, yeah, we can't yeah. have a, you know, a good conversation because I have to look at you and speak loudly. And I, I, I kind of felt sorry for him. And as I got older, just, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, well, and I, I feel the same way talking to myself. Why do I care? Why do I care if I look older, but they are making me look older, but to just new challenges, 
new opportunities to grow. New revelations of our (laughs) humanity. (laughs) Before we finish, I have to ask you, if I can, about your book on the Enneagram. And and the reason, a good friend of mine who teaches Enneagram stuff, uh, referenced it as his favorite book. Oh, Um, I love that man. (laughs) (laughs) Is there there a word you could say about how uh, that's helpful in aging? Um, Oh, it's... I'm so thankful for the years and years I spent engaging with the Enneagram. To begin with, it helped me be self-aware in a significant way. And it also helped me um, accept who I am. I mean, I had words to give to my false self. And then when I was teaching Enneagram workshops, there was always a lot of laughter because you say, oh, yeah, that's, that's your false self. I mean... Sometimes I even now will find myself saying, okay, you just go ahead and focus on everything that's wrong. I've got a life to live. (laughs) So I get a little schizophrenic about that. It's definitely helped me with myself. Um, I think it's helped Bob in his retirement. I'm a number four and Bob is a number five. And even though they're really close together, he experiences old age differently from me. And I think it helps us show mercy and give grace to each other because I don't, I don't have some of the same issues that he has. And he definitely doesn't have some of the same issues that I have. And we're both very thankful for that. Um, so just in our marriage, I think the Enneagram has enriched our years of retirement and old age. And it also helps me. Well, one of the ways it helps me helps me understand people who don't have the same problems I do growing older. I mean, we have a friend who's a number eight, and he has more energy in his senior years than I ever, ever had, even when I was much younger. And I think, well, I'm happy for him. (laughs) (laughs) But I hope he's happy for me, too. (laughs) No, that's good. Alice, I'm thankful that you wrote this book, and I'm thankful to talk to you about it today. Thank you very much. And that was Alice Freiling talking about her book coming out early next month. Aging Faithfully, The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. You can find out more about Alice and her work at alicefryling.com, and we'll put a link in the show notes. And this week, we'll be running some articles she wrote on our website, renovare.org. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. This work is made possible by the generosity of donors like you. Thank you. You can support Renovare in this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find a collection of thoughtfully curated articles, webinars, podcasts, online classes, as well as information on events and our institute at renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Until next time, be well, friends. Be well.